If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with MyBookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Broadcasting live from Florida's capital city, this is the Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing. And listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in five, four, three, two, one. Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio War Champ TV. Appreciate you being with us. Like last hour, this hour recorded just hours before we would normally be on the air. A couple reasons for that. Uh, None of them are all that pertinent. Obviously, last hour we documented the travesty of a beatdown uh, that took place last night at the TLCCC. Won't get too much more into that other than run out the gym. No Platinum Bohica. At the end of the last hour, I'm going to put a ribbon on that point I was making about LeBron James. No, I know you don't want me to go on a diatribe about LeBron James. But the point is, in the world of sports, just like in entertainment in general, we tend to find ourselves looking for reasons to tear people down. Fan bases, fans in general do that, right? Because unless it's your guy, you tire very quickly of the guy that wins for the other guy, right? So unless it's a Noel, or in my case, unless it's a Tampa Bay Buccaneer in the NFL, unless it's a Pittsburgh Pirate in baseball, which (laughs) it's not going to be, guys. I guess Andrew McCutcheon was the last one of those guys that I had. But you're always going to have a level of disdain that only grows more over time with the other superhero that plays for the wrong team in your mind, especially if they happen to be in your conference, especially if they happen to beat your favorite team on the regular. So over time, we hate Derek Jeter or we hate Tom Brady or we hate whomever it is that's had too much success for our liking. 
The other thing that happens is not only is there a concentrated effort to tear guys down, but you wait for the moment where they give you the opportunity. They say something stupid. They do something stupid. They overreact to something and their actions result in what you deem to be insight into who they are, and therefore you can tear them down. And look, they're no perfect people, so uh, there's always room to tear people down. Uh, all of us, all of us, right? Character flaws abound. Um, we all have our piccadillies, if you will. But what I think should be noted most of the time is if these guys, regardless of who they play for, are transcendent in terms of the sport they play. Uh, they are preternaturally gifted and good, but got the most out of those gifts, meaning, yeah, it's nice genetically to be six foot eight, six foot nine and play basketball as opposed to being five foot seven, but you still have to work really hard. And that always seems to get overlooked. People are like, well, how lucky are they? They're just gifted. Uh, you know, just God's gifts is often described, and I'm always of the mindset, man, there are a lot of 6'9 guys that suck at basketball. There are a lot of 6'9 guys that were ho-hum at basketball. There are very few that harness the talent or whatever genetic gift they have to become a transcendently great athlete. And there are even fewer that do so. And really, if we're being honest, can't be all that nitpicked. I mean, the decision was stupid. LeBron obviously uh, turned his back on Cleveland in the moment. You could argue that it's understandable, but maybe the way that he did it wasn't. You can say any number of things about quotes that he's had where you disagree with him philosophically, politically, or otherwise. That's fine. But if we're being honest, when you look at the all-time great athletes of an era, and we're living in one where we've seen LeBron, we've seen Tiger Woods, We've seen Tom Brady, and now you're watching guys like Patrick Mahomes and other uh, others assume that role, right? Um, it's rare that we get through it without there being some serious scandal or something that I think warrants harsh criticism. And that's especially true if it's given to that person in terms of the fame and the notoriety when they're really effing young. It's one thing if you emerge as an elite player in your sport through years of hard work and toil, and at 25, 26, 27, you kind of come into your own. And all of a sudden, we watch that rise, that meteoric rise of a player, and you, know, and you see, okay, he's got the right pieces around him, and he's figured it out, how to react with teammates, interact with teammates, how to deal with the superstardom that's been growing over time, uh, how to deal with fans when you're out in public, how to deal with all of that money, all of those things, right? It's, it's one thing for that to happen gradually, but for it to be, again, thrust upon somebody in their teenage years, well, we all know. I mean, there are countless stories in every walk of life, in particular in the entertainment industry, of child stars and what happens to them. It's, um, you know, it's it, you see it uh, pretty regularly when you're thinking about trust fund babies and the like. So the fact that LeBron has gone on to set records and live up to the hype, live up to the what he was hyped to be, and then some, and continues to be great at that age where there's nothing else to accomplish 
and to always be in shape and always play. We live in the era in the NBA in which guys take off, take nights off on a daily basis. It's crazy. Some of the biggest superstars in the world just regularly taking days off for no reason. And you know, you know, Jordan, Bird, Magic, Hakeem, all these guys would are appalled by that. Look, LeBron's old. And if you look at the equivalency of games played in the postseason, he's had countless added seasons to the legs, uh, the wear and tear on the legs. And yet he's always in shape, always ready to play, always really good. So that's all. Doff of the cap. We're lucky to be living in that era and it's still going swimmingly. That Lakers team sucks. So for me, it's the best of both worlds because he's still good and Lakers stink. And I hate the Lakers, so that's fine. There's still plenty of people that love the Lakers, just like the Cowboys. Pretty polarizing franchise, to say the least. All right, I wanted to get to something else here because I find this fascinating. This came up, and it's come up a lot lately. You guys know, because I've brought it up, um, that I do some other work for On3, where I'll occasionally sit in as a driver, uh, that is to say a host, uh, for the local talent that is covering those teams and programs for that team site. So I do work with Nebraska. I've done some work with Tennessee and some work with other programs here and there. I, I wouldn't call myself uh, an, an asset necessarily to those uh, sites or anything like that. Just somebody who is uh, a talker. That's what I am. A guy, a guy who has an opinion and can talk and steer a conversation because I've been doing it for a long time. But one of the cool things that happens when you get that opportunity to work with a Michigan or a Nebraska or anybody else, you get insight, you gain insight into what fans think, what fans are uh, hand-wringing over or excited about or frustrated by. And, and when that happens, it's kind of cool. It's like revelatory for me because I'm not in Lincoln and I'm not in Ann Arbor and I'm not in Knoxville. And I don't know the things that have frustrated them and the issues that have grown out of something else. And, you know, a lot of times that kind of interaction reveals to me what's really uh, on the mind, what's omnipresent uh, on the mind of fans. Well, for us over the last number of years at Florida state, it has been what? Whether or not we could get out of the ACC, can Florida State get out of the ACC? Because we know long-term, staying in this conference in all likelihood is the death knell towards consistent success. You can be good. Florida State's good right now. You could be very good, maybe even national championship good here and there in the ACC. Now, I do believe if the financial structure remains the same and the dearth, the, the gap between what Florida State has and what the SEC teams have, I think it gets harder to sustain excellence, gets harder to achieve greatness. I think it all stands to reason. Primarily because if openings become possible on your staff, everybody knows that coaches come and go, you don't have the money to compete for the best of the best in the coaching world. Not if simultaneously a Big Ten school wants the services of that coach. Simultaneously, a team in the SEC wants the services of that coach. You go into battle shorthanded. They're able to offer, in some cases, the further removed we get with this disparity in income, uh, annually for programs in the ACC compared to the SEC, 
uh, you get, in some cases, potentially doubled. That's right. Teams are going to be able to offer the top assistants or head coaches double what you could offer them if you are stuck in the ACC for a prolonged period of time or if the structure of how the monies are uh, obviously dispersed at the end of every year doesn't change. That is to say they make provisions such as, look, Florida State's a moneymaker. It's a brand. It's one of the few feathers in the cap of the ACC when it comes to football. When we're operating at peak efficiency, that is most assuredly true that Florida State is that. Now, when you think of another brand in the ACC, there aren't many, right? Clemson is obviously one that comes to mind. So schools like that might end up, if they can't get out, but find the situation to be untenable, position themselves in a way to say, we need more money. Now, they tried this in the Big 12, and it didn't work with Texas and obviously Oklahoma. <clears throat> in terms of the Texas blunder, obviously they got their own channel, all those things. Uh, you guys can read all about how that played out. Most of you are really knowledgeable. Most of you are diehard, passionate fans of college football. And it's not just that you're fans of Florida State, but you love the sport as a whole. And you know what a disaster that was. That brings me to my larger point about all of this. There was an article, actually it was, uh, I often read The Athletic, uh, amongst many other things, and I don't always love the writers there, but I certainly think that uh, the website does a very good job of covering the sports I like for the most part. And um, there was a mailbag recently. Uh, Stuart Mandel, you can hate him, you can love him. Uh, that's really not pertinent to this. Okay, so here's the deal. Uh, there were questions about NIL. We've had a lot of conversations about that. I read what he had to say about the Florida Collective and that situation and the NCAA and all of that other stuff. Uh, I scrolled down further to read the question about Oklahoma. And this question was from some guy named Joel in Oklahoma. And he said, in one of your answers to a previous mailbag, believe me, this circles back to Florida State. You said Oklahoma to the SEC has the potential to be like Nebraska when they moved to the Big Ten. As you might imagine, Oklahoma Sports Radio is having none of that. Certainly differences, largely that Nebraska was further into a decline than Oklahoma. But I think you were right to raise the possibility of that happening. If we start with the first college football playoff year, where would you guess the Sooners would have finished in the SEC had they been members? My guess is they would have averaged four, four and a half, fifth place. Okay. That's what Joel had to say in his question. Don't know Joel from Adam. I thought it was an interesting question. And in response to what Mendel had written, he went on to say, did Stewart, people took that answer in a direction he didn't intend. He did not mean to suggest that Oklahoma would become the equivalent of Scott Frost led Nebraska once they join the SEC. So this perked my ears because I have been working closely with Nebraska, and I also have said on the show over the years, one of my best friends has multiple degrees from Nebraska and is from the state, and he has been dismayed by the over 20-year lull of Nebraska football. And I think, and I was talking with another prominent Florida State guy the other day, and our conversation in private was, Thank goodness we're having this conversation while Florida State's good. It's really nice to have a conversation with you where we both can hearken back to Florida State being um, 
on the cusp of being very, very good and not lamenting the fact that they still stink. Because the more something lingers like mediocrity or outright poor play, you begin to wonder, is your program capable of falling as far and for as long a period as Nebraska did? We've seen it with Miami. To varying degrees, it's kind of interesting. You could even throw in there Florida in a weird way just because they've gone through so many coaches. I mean, we think about how many coaches. If you combine Florida and Miami over the last 20 years, how many coaches there have been, it kind of really suggests certainly, and certainly Florida State had that huge down period where we transitioned from Jimbo to Willie, from Willie to Mike. Um, you know, it kind of illustrates just how – the state of football in the state of Florida is not where it needs to be. It's not operating at peak efficiency. I'm not worried about the rest of the state. I'm worried about us. So it's nice to come out of that funk and reemerge as a program that's not only on the rise, but has a chance to be elite again. Uh, and it's good to be seen that way in the eyes of so many that cover college football, because that certainly informs the way that a lot of people take in the sport and how they view this program, ultimately that trickles down to high school coaches and players and the way that you can or cannot recruit successfully. So it matters to be good at a time where there's a lot going on. The landscape has shifted. The rules are changing. NIL has entered the picture. You need to be good at this time, especially if ultimately your goal is this, to leave this godforsaken conference. I go back to that. If the goal is, in fact, to eventually leave here, obviously you have to have yet another good season this year. Florida State must play well on the heels of having played well. One would think that they will. They've got talent. They've got depth, the likes of which Mike hasn't had since he's arrived. They've already done a lot with very little and improved it along the way. Players have been developed and gotten better. We're hoping to take the next step forward. And then maybe ultimately, if you do that for two and three or four years at a time, you're in a position to finally get out of here as that, uh, as that number uh, of years left on the deal, the Grant of Rights deal and all of that to the ACC diminishes. Maybe you get closer to being able to work out a deal. So I bring it back to this original point because I ask you this question. I'll read the chat afterwards. It is something we can talk about tomorrow or Friday. I find it to be infinitely fascinating because I think a lot of us will have very different answers. And many of you have great insight uh, to back up what it is your, your opinion is on this issue. I want to ask you this question. So, a little context. His answer, Mandel's answer, I did not mean to suggest Oklahoma will become Scott Frost-level Frost bad once it joins the SEC, but when Nebraska joined the Big Ten in 2011, it was largely viewed as the fourth blue blood joining the others, Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State being the Blue Bloods there. Based on its history, Nebraska would be expected to compete for championships. And in fact, very early on in year two, they did. They reached the league title game. Nebraska would no more be considered Big Ten royalty today than Wisconsin, Michigan State, Iowa, so they lost some of their identity along the way. It's still, it's interesting, you know, you look at it, it's, it's like, 
and he goes on to point this out, it, it's, it's like a big eight school playing in a conference with Maryland and Rutgers. If Oklahoma, though not as drastically, um, you go back to when the big eight existed, it was largely Oklahoma and Nebraska all the time, right? In the big 12, it was Oklahoma, Texas. His suspicion is that over time in the SEC, it will be Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Oklahoma, Texas, Florida, Auburn, with others coming and going. Thus, like Nebraska, Oklahoma will lose some of its prestige. Okay, it's fascinating, right? He mentions that they won 14 Big 12 championships since 2000. How many would they have won? In that time, there have been 31 SEC championship games, of which Alabama has won 10, 4 to 7. No one else has won more than five. How many would Oklahoma have won in that time frame compared to the 14 Big 12 championships they won um, in that conference? The question that I finally arrive at is this. Do you care? If Florida State were to join the SEC, Everybody knows that the road to winning championships would get that much more difficult. Everybody would recognize and maybe to varying degrees accept the fact that the time between winning championships or going to the college football playoff or competing for national championships as, as opposed to just conference championships, although I would argue certainly if you win the SEC, you're going to be in the discussion to play for a national championship. But the point would be that it would get that much more difficult, exponentially difficult uh, with the amount of good teams that are in that conference, the level of recruiting, the money, and all of those things. And would that bother you? Or would it just be enough? Are you at a place in your college football fandom, fandom as in the sport as opposed to singularly Florida State, are you at a place where you could say, I just don't want to be at a distinct disadvantage to where we don't even have the opportunity to compete. If you're telling me that I've got to find a way to navigate a conference by the time we get there, that we'll have Oklahoma, Texas, Auburn, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, Alabama, LSU, right? We keep going, keep going. I mean, maybe to lesser degrees, we're not as worried about Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, Missouri, Arkansas, you get the picture. But Florida State is still going to have to find a way to get through those other upper crust programs that I just mentioned that have the same interests that we do, such as facilities and championships, money invested, winning program. And I think that I am. I'm fine with it. Just to know that I'd be going to Doe Campbell Stadium and to see a schedule or on the road that any given year might feature games against LSU, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, OU, Texas. <laughs> I mean, I'm just jumping around, just giving you a handful of games. Like, yeah, that wouldn't suck. I'm all right with that. And maybe, because I'm 51 years old, maybe I'd never see Florida State win another national championship. I mean, I'm not worried about our ability with equal footing, equal funding. I'm not worried about our ability to compete for national championships if all things are equal. 
What I'm really worried about now is that we don't have that opportunity because all things are not equal, or at least that the window is rapidly closing. So if you tell me tomorrow, if Florida State wins 10 games this year, they're going to the SEC and they're going to be welcomed with open arms and the competition gets that much greater and, hey, uh, buckle up, everybody, because the ride may be bumpy. And if you have a bad year, you're going to get trounced by six teams. Hey, that's all right. I've been through the ups and downs and not had the opportunity to go to football crazed towns that are equally as passionate about the game as we are and committed to winning as we are. I get that there's an ebb and flow to all of this, that Alabama currently in the run they're on, Georgia, who's now flipped the script and become the team, that these are outliers, that every now and then that might be your club, like we were ruling the roost of college football for a long period of time, us and a handful of other teams. We had a run that is uh, rarely equaled, in some cases unequaled, by any program. And so you're willing to deal with that just so long as you're given the opportunity to compete. I could live with it. I could live with maybe some of the luster, if you will, coming off the program because the time between titles would have to be more spaced out based on the level of competition. I don't know if you guys thought that through and that you would be okay with that as long as you have the opportunity or whether or not you just say, hey, listen, Florida State's in a better situation than the vast majority of the teams that you just spoke of. That might be true too. Send it to me. Talk about it on the message board, wordchant.com. Talk about it uh, in my email. Talk about it here. I'll read it. I am curious. I'm going to gauge this and pose this question every so often because I am kind of curious what the tenor will be. What, what, is the, what is the overall thought process for most Florida State fans about this issue of leaving this conference and having an opportunity, equal opportunity to compete by joining either the SEC or the Big Ten? It's Jeff Cameron, Show 93.3, Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. What's up, guys? Our next partner that you're going to hear from is Athletic Greens. You've heard me talk about Athletic Greens in the past. Happy to talk about them again. I take Athletic Greens every day, and I gave them a try because certainly I wanted more energy, sustained energy. I wanted to support my immune system. I don't like taking pills and vitamins per se, and I wanted something that tasted good too. And the first time I tried it, I was very surprised. Uh, it had an appreciable effect on my energy levels. And also, uh, over time, you'll note that it, uh, it helps your skin, your hair, your nails. I don't have a lot of hair, but if I did, I bet I could feel that. I bet I could tell. It's a comprehensive health uh, habit, and uh, it is a, a powerful one at that. AG1 is great for recovery. Uh, that's Athletic Greens. And uh, I, I take mine basically when I wake up every morning. I don't have to worry about it because you get all the nutrients that you want. It's the best way to ensure that you're going to get all of your vitamins. It's a carbon-neutral business, by the way, if that's important to you. It is to a lot of people, and that's good to know as well. I would also note that uh, it is a comprehensive solution to what you need from a supplement routine. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs right now with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash JCS. Helps me out, guys, if you use that. Not financially, but it lets them know that you heard this ad on my show. And I do take it, and I am vouching for them because I enjoy their product. It's athleticgreens.com slash JCS. Check it out. I think you'll note the difference in your life 
with a simple drink each and every morning to start your day. Athleticgreens.com slash JCS. The Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. out of uh, PFF is uh, the website, uh, Pro Football Focus College version uh, that you guys can read. It is entitled Unfinished Business. Jordan Travis and Florida State have national championship aspirations for 2023. Um, the article is, uh, again, it's interesting. It's, it comes from an interview, but also Max Chadwick, uh, who wrote it, noted that for the first time in seemingly forever, there's palpable excitement around Florida State football. First 10 win seasons, 2016, all the things you guys know. First winning record in five years, unfortunately, all the things you guys know. And a really talented roster. Uh, PFF ranks Florida State fourth in their way too early top 25 for the 2023 college football season. Uh, a reminder, the schedule will be released on Monday. So we will know, well, we know the schedule. But the order of the games, conference schedule, times, and dates will uh, be made available on Monday on the ACC Network. And obviously, they'll do an entire show around that. We will react to that. Uh, we will probably do something live that night here at Warchant.com. Uh, I will certainly talk about it here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio as well as uh, Warchant TV. And we will talk about it on some of the headlines the next day and on the Jeff Cameron Show on Wednesday. Wake Up Warchant will do the same. So plenty of discussion surrounding expectations, Florida State, and uh, it's it's a lot of the national conversation surrounding the sport here in the brief offseason that we're all in now from football. Although, again, you're right to point out there is no offseason. And – the article is, is lengthy, has plenty to say. It's an interesting article in that Travis gives insight into his mindset and what it was like to kind of be an underdog and how Florida State was always his dream school, but it got off to a rocky start with all of the things that happened. And um, he basically, I want to start here, though. I want to start here because I've made this point a lot. It's because I hear it a lot from folks in the NIL world and uh, in particular, in particular with the battles in, I think it's important because it, it's nice to know that that's the way he's seen and it's important. And obviously we're seeing the successes within the portal, but we talk about what an asset Mike Norvell is right now, right coach, right time, right attitude, young, hungry, aggressive, steeped in, in, in what he believes is a, a principled approach, certainly, and a, and a methodology that has been uh, embraced by the players. And that's important because messaging is just that. It's messaging. Hopefully, it is rooted in something um, that is, is, is living and breathing and works. It is tried and true. It is something uh, that stands the test of time, but more importantly, adversity, right? Well, that it has had to do. 
But when you hear players routinely reference why they're happy to be here, why they chose to come here, uh, being Mike Norvell and his messaging and the way that he interacts with them, then you know you're in a pretty good place, that that messaging has certainly washed over the players and they've taken ownership of it. Quote, I loved him from the first day that he came here. He came in, earned our respect. He never asked for it. He earned it. Coach Norvell is the best decision Florida State could have made. We put our trust in him and knew it would work out. Went on to say that he knew midway through, by the way, the LSU game this past year, that they had the potential to have a very good season and be perhaps special. Quote, we showed a lot of toughness in that game. Um, that's true. They did. Uh, they showed that they still needed a couple of things to go their way in order to get over the hump, but they did show toughness in that game. Um, and so from there, it you know we get into uh, the conversation about what's realistic and what's not. And I want to go down here talking about the return this year and expectations. And there's been a lot of talk. We've had plenty of talk about whether or not it's a good idea to launch a, a, a Heisman campaign, a website, and put added pressure on Jordan Travis, um, you know, because he's a guy that kind of shuns the limelight, which I absolutely love about him, by the way. Um, but again, this is another example, I think, maybe gives you a glimpse, some insight into how he's going to handle the expectations, how he's going to handle being under the gun, how he's going to handle the pressure of being talked about in that category of Heisman candidates. Think about all the people that play college football, the big-time players we all watch and, uh, and, and, and love in the game. Jordan Travis' name is going to enter that conversation going into next year. Not because I think so, not because we're rooting for him and not because we're Florida State fans, but because he's been recognized as such after this terrific season by the national media that covers the sport. So when you watch College Game Day or any of the other national shows that highlight the sport, Jordan Travis is going to be included in those conversations. He said about that this, it's a blessing to be talked about for an award of that magnitude. But again, I came here to win a national championship I didn't come here to win the Heisman. Good. Glad to hear it. Like the way that he's talking about it. Um, he mentions in there, and I think it's this is also important, and I think, again, reveals the mindset. And why do I care how Travis views this? Upcoming season, last season, his place on the team, all of that. Well, by definition, as a quarterback, you have to be a leader. You have to be a leader that it adheres to who he is. And you can't be fake. That gets sniffed out very quickly in a locker room. You can't try and be something you're not. At that point, uh, you'll fail because that's not who you are. It's not what you're capable of. It's not your personality. It's not any of those things. You're not built that way to become this other person because you're you. So if you try to go outside that boundary, yeah, you can incorporate techniques and other things of that ilk but you have to make them your own. And so he, every time he talks about things like this, you can tell that he's remaining true to who he is. That's good news. We'll see once the games get started, right? I don't know things change, but right now the off season has been a lot about the expectations, the season that was what we think of him and how much better he can get because of the evidence of how much better he already got from where he was prior to this last season. Quote last year, we were talked about as one of the worst teams in the ACC. Now we're one of the favorites. We didn't listen to the noise back then. Why would we do so 
now. Very cool. Also really nice to hear. And again, another sign that Jordan Travis is taking all of this in stride. The article, Unfinished Business, Jordan Travis and Florida State have national championship aspirations for 2023, is on PSF. It's not a promotional tool for me to say that to them. I'm just giving you my thoughts on the article and the quotes. Most importantly, I want you to be able to go read the whole thing because there's more to it and it will end greater context, I suppose. But just, again, you think about where he's at how far he's come and the way that he handles the success, the way that he's handled some of the failures uh, of the past, the way that he's handled the pressure of having to be the guy. I keep going back to spring football. I go back to the fall. I think about the additions of the players that we've added through the transfer portal, many of whom he had to instantly find a rapport with because they were receivers and running backs. So, backfield mates, and wide receivers. You're going to want to incorporate Micah Pittman. You're going to want to incorporate Johnny Wilson. You're going to need those guys. There are others um, that do span and others that come in. You're going you're gonna to need – oh, yeah, we forgot about do span, by the way. I still think he has a chance to be a pretty good player. Anyhow, um, you want to do that. You want to incorporate those things, but you also got to – you got to forge a relationship. And it just didn't take very long. It didn't take long for him to kind of put his stamp on all of that. When those guys got frustrated, you could see the way he interacted with them, the conversations they had. When he had a bad day, he'd come back the next day and almost always rectify that situation. There's a peace. There's a calmness. I think that has a lot to do with the journey and the places he's been and the things he's had to overcome. Um, whether it be an ugly situation up at Louisville to his time here, which got off to a, a bad start to being doubted, all of those things. So when you come out the other side of that, you're tougher, you're stronger, both mentally and physically, because obviously he had a bunch of injuries too. Um, so I just think all of that has added up to a place of great comfort. And I watch it happen all the time in practice. So as we add these players to the roster and we talk about what they can or can't be, I just know that the guy that has to be the leader, the one that shepherds all of that in a way, besides Mike Norvell, usually your players are an extension of the coach. And especially if your coach is an offensive coach, a play caller, uh, a former receiver himself, right? You got to have that synergy. He and Jordan Travis seem to have that, which I think also creates a, an ability for Jordan to relax and just play the game. Feels like he's in good hands. They're only adding weapons. To me, you would come to practice if you're comfortable with your in your own skin, and he clearly is. You would come to practice on a daily basis, knowing what an opportunity. Like I get the chance to make plays now. The line in front of me is so much better. I'm not always worried about getting killed. Oh, by the way, if the guy does get through, I've got uh, unbelievable ability to make you miss. So I'm not worried about that. I can make the first guy miss, and I'm always looking downfield. And I've got playmakers who are gonna get open. And now you've added these tight ends we're going to be a broken record. We're going to be a broken record to some extent. I just think we're that kind of giddy about the future. Jeff Cameron show 93.3 real talk radio war chant TV continues in a moment. The Cameron show is a production of the Warchant.com multimedia network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida state athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now back to Jeff on real talk. 93.3. <laughs> The 
93.3 Real Talk Radio War Chant TV, and it has been fun. Be back with you tomorrow. By the way, don't forget our friends at Pinch a Penny, Tub Talk. I don't have the sounder. I don't have the sounder because I'm solo in this second hour, but uh, don't forget Pinch a Penny as uh, Tub Talk is indeed sponsored by them, and they've got, what, over 50 hot tubs that you can go and choose from. Find one for you and your lovely wife, you and your family, you by yourself, whatever, whatever you want to do. Pinch of Penny's got you covered. They got those big ass ones. They got the small ones and everything in between. When I say ones, I'm talking about hot tubs, of course. I've got room. I've got room, Pinch of Penny. Let's go. Let's talk. Let's do this thing. Pinch of Penny, swing on by, check out the showroom and get you a hot tub. As far as uh, this final, so I don't know if you noticed this. So we were talking about numbers, and we all have fun at uh, <laughs> varying coaches' expense, right? Did you see where uh, Jimbo's lost another assistant? That is worth tracking. Whenever a staff, whenever he assembles a staff, find out how fast or or gauge how long it's going to take for that staff to you know, scatter for the hills. Uh Tyler Santucci is coming to work in uh, in 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 Duke uh, in Durham, North Carolina, at Duke um, for Mike Elko. Mike Elko was formerly with Jimbo Fisher as well, and as all coaches who end up working with Jimbo Fisher typically do, they leave. They leave as soon as they get an opportunity. Duke has now hired the 34-year-old Santucci as their new defensive coordinator. They did so. Yesterday, Santucci and Elko, both previously, obviously having worked together at Texas A&M, but they did so prior to that, too, in fairness, at Wake Forest. You can see why one might leave Wake Forest to take the Texas A&M job. I think it's very, very interesting that you would take the Texas A&M job, make the kind of money that Texas A&M could pay, and then decide, eh, I kind of want to leave here. I'd kind of like to get out. So there's that. Uh, yeah, Elko got a head coaching job to go to Duke and did a fantastic job in year one already. I also did not know this, and I have to give an awful lot of credit to Duke. By the way, they're on the schedule. So we do this a lot when we look ahead and we talk about the team next year and how excited we are. I've just spent an awful lot of time doing exactly that, and we have in various forums all week long already and all of last week, and we'll continue to do this. But I'm reminded of something as I read this article, not only it's A, that all Jimbo Fisher assistants seek to leave as quickly as they possibly can, uh, but B, (laughs) and by the way, again, Elko left for a head coaching job. I'm not putting that on Jimbo. It is the Duke head coaching job, but he, he took it. It's power five, fair enough, and has done a good job. The defensive coordinator uh, to be hired, it's a step up to go from linebacker coach to defensive coordinator. But, man, you'd think if you play your cards right at 34, you're going to keep moving up the ladder. you got an opportunity. get paid more. <laughs> nope, they leave. Anyhow, for whatever reason, all guys leave Jimbo Fisher's staff as soon as they possibly can. Here's the final thing that I wanted to note about this, and it brings me to my larger point about what we think next year looks like, and we all fall into this trap. Now, again, When we're talking about schedule next week, I'll be guilty of it too. 
And it's easy to do. It's easy to fall into the trap. And let's be honest, it's not a great league, the ACC. But there are always teams that are on the rise and those that are falling. Oftentimes, it's hard to necessarily predict. It feels like right now that we've got a pretty good handle on the fact that Clemson is beginning to wane, right? We think. We think. Still have good players there. Unfortunately, by the way, on that note, Somebody clearly got a hold of Dabo and noted that there were changes that needed to be made. And I don't think they were going to just let him have carte blanche as to what those changes were. You would think a guy who has the reputation that he does and seldom has to um, be sat down and spoken to and told anything because of his successes, uh, that they would have given him that total autonomy. But I don't, I don't think that's how that happened. Just my opinion. I think they saw enough to know that this was not going to get fixed internally and that they needed to go outside the program and bring somebody else in, uh, even if it was a familiar face. And that's what happened. Now back to this. Okay. The point would be, we think Clemson's gone on the decline. We'll see. Maybe those moves have righted the ship and they still have good players and they'll move forward from there. I hope I'm wrong about that. I hope they are clearly, clearly descending. But Duke had a great season, and this I did not know about Duke. Duke was number 31 nationally in points per game allowed last year. So defensively, they allowed 22 points a game at Duke last season. That's good for 31st nationally. They were a top five defense in the ACC last year. Top five. I would not have guessed that Duke had a top five defense in the ACC last year. And you could accuse me of a great oversight. I know they had a good season. There were numerous times that I tuned into Duke games and it was evident that they were better, but a top five defense in the league and a top 35 defense nationally. Now, again, these are kind of standard metrics. So, you could probably look at some more advanced metrics that would tell you that mm, opponents adjusted, uh, so forth, don't necessarily bear that out. And I'm not trying to make the argument that Duke is on the cusp of being a juggernaut. But as we get excited about the schedule release next week on Monday, and we talk about it on Monday night and Tuesday morning and Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday afternoon on the Jeff Cameron Show when we do W's and L's next week. That's right. Put it on the calendar. W's and L's next week, JCS Wednesday because it's the first chance we get. As we do that, we have to keep in mind, uh, again, I brought it up last year. Turns out we were one of those teams, by the way. But when we look at the ACC, I'm always looking at who's a good team right now in this league? Who's a really good team that you suspect about the nosedive? Plane is crashing to the side of the mountain. There's enough evidence either on the field, off the field, Comments from players, coaches, fans alike, articles you read, whatever it might be, smoke, there's fire type stuff. Hey, they're in trouble. I think that I know they won nine games last year, but they're about to fall. And then who's a team that you're going to identify as, you know, they weren't very good last year, but there were some telltale signs. Again, last year, it turned out that that was us. Five and seven the year before, we came into the year with a whole lot of high hopes. Think about it, though, outside of the area. Well, you and me and most Florida State fans bickered about what was possible. Most of the projections and the predictions that we had as Knowles were at least six wins, right? Nobody thought we were going to go five and seven. It was a possibility. But most people thought he'll have a winning season. What we were debating was whether or not Florida State was going to win seven games, eight games, 
nine games. Very few people said 10 games. And it was 10 games with the bowl. But regular season games, I think I said eight and four, seven and five, worst case scenario. Tom said nine and three to his credit. And best case scenario, 10 and two. We'll go in next year thinking that Florida State should win 10 games. I mean, would, 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 do we think the floor is okay? How about the floor is eight and four? The floor is eight and four. The ceiling is 12 and oh. All right. That's okay. That's fair. All right. So who else is a team that you're going to look at that you aren't thinking that much of right now? But really, could it be Duke? And Duke is on the schedule. Duke has never beaten us. Just something to kind of contemplate as we get set to hear about the schedule. Uh, there are a couple of other contenders on that list. Let's hope Virginia Tech's not one of them because they're also on the list of teams that Florida State plays. All right, that's it. That's all. Don't forget, tomorrow we're back. Redemption Thursday. We'll get more into the NFL. We'll get into picks. We'll start to do all those things. But also, uh, I should be uh, solo tomorrow. Total show. I think Director Matthew is going to be producing. It'll be uh, not recorded, but rather live from one to three appreciate you joining us don't forget to answer the question i asked earlier jeff cabbage show 93.3 real talk radio war chant tv take care everybody be well talk to you tomorrow peace ah mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.